0: Welcome everyone to episode 60. My name is David Reed. You're tuning in to Dial the Gate. Saul Rubinick is joining us for this episode. He was Emmett Bregman in Stargate SG-1's Heroes Part 1 and 2. Arguably um, the best two-parter that uh, SG-1 produced. And we're going to be bringing him in in just a moment here. But before we get started, if you like Stargate, and you wanna see more content like this on YouTube, it would mean a great deal if you click the like button. It really makes a difference with YouTube's algorithm and will definitely help the show grow its audience. Please also consider sharing this video with a Stargate friend, and if you wanna get notified about future episodes, click the subscribe icon. Giving the bell icon a click will notify you the moment a new video drops. And you'll get my notifications of any last-minute guest changes. This is key if you plan on watching live. And clips from this live stream will be released over the course of the next several days on our companion uh, channel, GateWorld.net, on YouTube. So this episode is going to be slightly different because we're trying something new uh, with both with Saul and with Vitiare, uh in the next couple of hours here. Uh, as always, if you have questions for our guests, you're invited to submit them at youtube.com slash dial the gate where you're watching this right now. In this episode, I'd like to invite you to start submitting your questions in the comments section. So instead of having the moderators go through and, and dig through the comments where everyone's chatting, I'd like to try to see if we can have people start submitting in the comments to set them aside and give the moderators a chance to... Uh, uh, to look there exclusively for this episode of the next one, we'll be doing a little bit of crossover for both, but uh, let's give that a shot. So if you have a question for Saul, submit it in the comments section on the uh, YouTube page and uh, we will go from there. In the meantime, I get to talk with him. Mr. Saul Rubinick, Emmett Bregman on Stargate SG-1. Sir, it is a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. How are you doing? I understand you, you, you just came, went back to work.
1: Yes, for the first time in a year, I did an episode of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel in New York. I just got back uh, to Los Angeles and I've been vaccinated, so um, that helps uh, my uh,
0: comfort level. Absolutely. What was it like finally getting back into the thick of it out there? Was it weird getting your feet wet again? Well, it's
1: just weird getting out of the house after a year of mostly not, you know, being safe and mask wearing wherever I went, but we didn't go very many places yeah. and going to an airport and and um, getting on an airplane and going to a hotel and then going to work. All of that was uh, a bit strange, um, uh, but, you know, it was most people, you know, 99% of people are compliant and wearing masks yeah. and are careful and the set that Amazon and the people at Mrs. Maisel were running were incredibly careful and and, um, and uh, everybody was very caring and and cautious and uh, sensitive to what was going on, especially because we were working with um, background actors mm-hmm. who are also uh, as protected as we are on the main cast uh, or guest cast. And uh, the protocols that are in place, I imagine, are pretty similar all over North America. I don't know what they're like in Europe, but I would imagine there's a similarity everywhere about how people are handling uh, set safety, both for the health and safety of all members of the crew and cast, but also for insurance reasons and, Most all, all it, uh, and other reasons like that, because they, they do, um, there they has something that I didn't know that they had, which is a little device about a third the size of a, of an iPhone that you carry with you, with your name on it, which is a electronic contact tracer. So in case somebody does uh, end up being positive, they test you every day. Mm-hmm. And in case somebody does turn out positive, then I guess they can figure out who those that person was in contact with. And uh, anyway, it's 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 very complicated. Hopefully, a year from now, we'll we'll be we'll have to be less vigilant than that.
0: Absolutely. Well, you know, it just shows. We're going to get through this one way or the other. So, and a lot of people are like, I don't know, man. It's like, we have to let this thing, you know, we have to let good yeah. old human ingenuity take over. So, everyone that, pretty much everyone that I talk to, all the Canadian cast, you know, they, a lot of them have been back to work and they carry, um a, uh, several of them carry uh, uh proximity devices so that, you know, yes, if they're like too close yeah. together, then it starts going off and everything else. So, uh, you know, you give give humans a chance to figure it out, and we we will do so. So yeah, it's yeah. funny. I've been I've been going over some of the the uh, people talking in chat right now, and a couple of them are like, "I don't know if we should. I don't know if we should trust this guy. He he kidnapped Data.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you shouldn't trust me." Uh... <laughs>
0: <laughs> what a! I, I have to say, because that was that was the first time I had ever seen you, and I mean it, it was a tragedy that brought you on, but at the same time it, it presented one of the more interesting aliens that Next Generation had uh, ever introduced, and it was that was a terrific performance, sir.
1: Thank you. Yeah, I was very lucky. I happened to be in Los Angeles at the time, and the director of the episode, Tim Bond was somebody that I'd known since I was a kid, actually, in Canada. And also because uh, Brent Spiner and I had done theater together in New York. And so when their uh, original guest star got ill um, and couldn't do it, then uh, I was brought in at a moment's notice. I just happened to be in L.A. Uh, I wouldn't have been something I could have done if I were in Toronto, which is where I was living. At the time, I think I was living at the time in both New York and Toronto, and I happened to be visiting uh, Los wow. Angeles. And I had asked Tim uh, if I could visit the set because uh, Brent was, you know, an old friend, and I liked the show. I think it was only its second season that they were shooting, and uh, and he said, "Yeah, just give me a couple of days." And then I got a call in the middle of the night saying, "How badly do you want to visit the set?"
0: <laughs> Jeez. You really visit the set? What yeah. I have, I have to ask. The, um, uh, the there was a line about the Andorians wanting to make a bid on the shipment of Tellurian spices, and you said they have four days to decide. Why well, have they decide? Right, all right. Is that is that an ad lib? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's fair.
1: <laughs> I have no idea. This is thirty years ago. This and is more true. Than 30, years, thirty, probably thirty-two years ago. And uh, I really, uh, all I remember was having a lot of fun because it was mostly a two-hander between Uh me and Brent and uh, an old friend director. And um, I had a a real great time uh, doing it. It was really a fun character. Yeah.
0: Saul, it it was fantastic, you know, that they picked... um... You for the role of Emmett Bregman. Rob Cooper had been wanting to do this this kind of a show for a little while now. He was a huge fan of MASH and the two-parter where they had the documentary folks come in to the MASH camp and just lay it all out. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I really uh, want to know your take on this character and what it was... I mean, you, you were born in Germany in a very tumultuous time, you know, as, as a result of, you know, some, some of humanity doing the the worst to each other. And then you get this role that's, that's, has, in my opinion, the best speeches in SG one, a couple of the best speeches are, are this, are this character.
1: Well, partly because Robert Cooper's, um, generosity of spirit, um, I've had experiences before doing sci-fi that was even closer to to my background, starting with an episode of The Outer Limits where I time travel back to a concentration camp. Um, Oh, wow. uh, In in, in a really extraordinary um, episode of The Outer Limits that I had shot, probably not far from that time when I did SG-1. And also later on in Warehouse 13, the writers... Uh, used my background, uh, my being this child of, of uh, Holocaust survivors, as part of the storyline for Artie Nielsen, the character in mm. Warehouse 13, which is a, is a kind of science fiction mm-hmm. fantasy show. Uh, this episode uh, was supposed to be one episode, and um, I don't know how I was picked. I was grateful. I, I liked the show. I hadn't seen all six seasons of it at that point. I'd seen it intermittently. Um, and I knew friends who had been on it and I knew it was a, had a really great group of, of regular actors who were really wonderful actors and good directors writing was really top notch. And it was an interesting character because, uh, the original idea was that a documentary filmmaker is, you know, treated with tremendous suspicion as a kind of left-wing liberal who would somehow denigrate the armed services, um, which um, I played into a little bit, uh, knowing that ultimately I was going to um, not be uh, denigrating them. I'd be talking about their heroism, but I didn't know how deeply I would get into it. I also didn't really, I wasn't really aware it was going to be the death of one of the regular characters for good. I I wasn't really aware of that until we got into it. But one of the things, but we did have a lot of discussions about it. And I, I asked, whether or not I could. Um, sometimes you get onto a show, and they really. Um, and I have this discussion usually early before I accept. Uh, if the dialogue is such, I sometimes I feel I might be a bit miscast. And um, and even though I'm grateful for having been cast, if I especially if I haven't auditioned for it, and this is an offer, I'm wondering whether or not I can make the dialogue fit my fit a little bit better if I wasn't really changing content. And they were very open about that. And I had a lot of ideas about, you know, they were open to improvisation, which I gather was not unusual on the show, which is very fortunate. When you have a showrunner, I think Robert was also the showrunner and also the writer of the episode. Am I right? When you have a showrunner on a show and I wasn't used to it yet, it wasn't until I was doing a regular role in warehouse 13 And Jack Kenny, our um, showrunner and head writer, was on the set most of the time. uh, That you realize the benefit of that, because um, when when a showrunner and a head writer is three thousand miles away from where you're shooting, there's not only the time difference, but they really the directors are given the edict that they really have to stick to the script, and for good reason, because they could get into all kinds of story problems. Mm -hmm. Uh, But when the when the when the showrunner is there. Uh, then improvisation is, uh, more of a possibility because they can, they can say, well, let, you know, why don't you do it? To-? And Andy, uh, who directed the episode, I think mm-hmm. certainly wasn't his first turn at the bat on this show. Yeah. And there was, and he had done a lot of these and was an extraordinarily talented, very talented director and with actors and, and knew the show really well. There was a looseness, you know, uh, about the way we approached it. Um, and uh, all the scenes with all the actors I remember uh, were, you know, really fun uh, because they're, because of that looseness and because Robert was so open and Andy was open, uh, the whole shooting style of doing a documentary, they were doing something different. They all appreciated the difference, you know, the, the kind of shooting, being able to look right at the camera, the whole shooting style, the handheld feeling of it, my little crew and (laughs) our our stuff that was going on. The biggest thing that happened for me was a long discussion where I said, look, I think that you're missing an opportunity. Uh, And Robert jumped on it and said, absolutely, what can we do? And we we collaborated together on a, a speech that is one of my favorite moments in all of my career which is talking about the importance, especially after a Trump era, talking about the importance of news and uh, and about true reporting and uh, about how important it is to a democratic society. Um, uh, And I remember that speech and I remember we worked on it together. He was very open to my um, my contribution. I mean, it's all Robert Cooper, but my, but I did have, uh, I felt a significant contribution, which a lot of showrunners' egos won't allow. There wasn't any of that problem, um, and I I felt appreciated, and I felt welcomed by not only Robert and Andy, but the but the cast, and and it was treated as a very high quality thing, and it was very wonderful when, uh, from what I understand, happened is that when they did their first cut of the show and it was long rather than doing a long episode or a special long episode or whatever they de- then they decided why don't we read add additional scenes and create a two parter. And that allowed, uh, for the depth of the show, uh, to, to come out. Uh, and it allowed scenes that normally would have been cut down significantly or excised completely to be in the show. And that's all, a combination of Robert Cooper and the network uh, making those uh, agreeing to do it. And that's why I think it's, you know, it's why it's a fan favorite uh, is because of that also, because it was significant to lose a, you know, a regular cast member in those circumstances, very significant, wonderful actress. And, and, and uh, all of that made it for, made it high drama. Plus, I do remember how emotional Don Davis was. I think he was also at one time in the military. Yes, Don he was. was. He was a in, captain. In, in, and and a show about the military. He was very emotional, incredibly supportive, really a wonderful actor to work with. And uh, I just remember, you know, it was just a, a really high a highlight in my life working on episodic television, which can sometimes be a grind. Um sometimes you're you're plugged in and you 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 know, they're trying to get in and out really quick and the showrunners are three thousand miles away and you're not you know, you it's a good role, it might be a fun episode, but this was a special experience.
0: Rob was saying, you know, yeah, that he had some spirited discussions with you about about getting that dialogue exactly right because you know the, the it is the work that the pe- the type of people that that Bregman do is so key to a democratic society. I'll I'll never forget that speech for as long as I live. You know, you force the press into the cold, and all you will get is lies and innuendo, and nothing is is more dangerous to a free society than than a, right. a, a media that is in service to the state. Um, and it's 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 a powerful powerful message, and I think you're absolutely right. I think it's one of the reasons why you know people, um. Even though we lose one of one of the universally loved characters, uh, is is an important message uh, that continues to be well received by fandom. You know that many of them weren't even born when the episode aired. You know this this thing just continues speech, to succeed. That speech was used. I, I've seen excerpts. Of, I've seen that
1: speech used or quoted on Twitter, um, talking about all kinds of different subject mm-hmm. matters over the, especially over the last, you know, four years, uh, people would reference uh, that speech when people were talking about fake news or about, you know, how the, the media is complicit in conspiracy bullshit and stuff like that. And I was gratified to see it used. Um, uh, yeah, it was, it was an important, um, it was m- very important that, uh, I'll just never forget how open Robert was to, to doing it because it wasn't in the original script. And it was, it was a, a special moment. And I remember saying really, really well, saying, look, I have this idea. It's not going to take any time because you have to cover me anyway. They're bringing a body in. Um, mm-hmm. And we don't know who it is. and We don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. You have to cover me. And all it's going to be is an extra five minutes, which you can take out. You can cut this speech um, if you need to and just say, hey, you know, I need I need access. Cut. Um, But why don't you just leave the camera running? And what will you say? I said this, this a version, a version. I will say a version of this. And I remember at lunch going to being with Andy and being with Robert saying, look, I've written this first draft of this. And um, I they worked on it, uh, made it significantly better. And, um, and that's what happened. Wow. I remember that. Wow.
0: And it, it's one of the more powerful scenes because um, Amanda Tapping's character of Carter, you know, usually um, under control and uh, uh, on top of things. And you push her over the edge in that scene. Where, you know, she, she yells at you and tells you to shut the camera off. And we'd never seen, we'd never seen Carter like that. And we understand, we mm. find out later, she's lost one of her close, one of her dearest friends. You mm. uh, and the character pull out the, the best, some of the best performances in that entire cast. You know, particularly with Terrell as well. You know, before we lose her, there, there is a, a uh, romantic tension underneath mm. there she she is she is drawn to Emmett's charm you know that's it's one mm-hmm. of my favorite scenes in the mess hall where he's like she's like what's with the ring he's like oh sentimental my my wife died you know we're yeah, beginning yeah. to connect with this character even though he has an adversarial relationship with our heroes with our friends through through the television um but you can
1: understand it you can understand correct. the adversarial they think they think they're going to be you know cut up in a documentary for a particular um Point of view that is not going to be flattering, and uh, and I don't, uh, you know, you don't know what my intentions are really until the very yet. Also, it's a discovery for my character to find mm-hmm. out how heroic, how heroic these people uh, really are, as they would be in any real life situation, um, in, a, in a terrible, in a warlike situation where politics. People die not necessarily for noble reasons, Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, although she does uh, Mm. die quite uh, for noble reasons, but not all soldiers do. Very often they're dying for a lot of old white men sitting in armchairs somewhere. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, But this is, uh, and so my character, he knows he's there to document something that might eventually go public. He's been given an order to do it. He doesn't know what, he's trying to get at some kind of truth. He's got integrity. and You don't know where that integrity lies until, he's, until there's high pressure.
0: Exactly um, right. And he keeps going. The, the, yeah. The important
1: thing that I'm, that I'm going to em- emphasize is that if it hadn't been a two-parter, I think that speech might have hit the cutting room floor. Um, and many moments would have hit the cutting room floor. And it was a very brave decision on their part. And their creative instincts were right on the money to look at it and go, you know, we have something special here. <laughs> and it was for You know, the, the the episodes that would never end shooting, I mean, they kept going. You know, um, shooting all kinds of stuff and having to fig- fill it out. But it, it's really worth it. I'm asked about it all the time. Uh, oh, go to conventions. Are. All the time, yeah. Um, people come who, uh, who are Stargate fans uh, and talk about those episodes specifically. And it wasn't until I don't think I was really aware of the episode's popularity. For some reason, I wasn't aware of the awards that it was nominated for at the time, even, or the critical response, because working actor, transport my family, I'm just moving on to the next project, and I I don't really usually pay attention to reviews, and and I don't pay attention to the award stuff, really. Uh, um, So I, I wasn't aware of it until many years later, When so that was two thousand and three, and probably not until two thousand and nine or so. um, Six years later, when I was um, at my very first convention because of Warehouse thirteen, and we were at Comic Con. Six years later, uh, after we, you know, we were we just in the middle of shooting our first season of Warehouse thirteen, where people came up to me about Stargate one and two, and had pictures of my character whose name I didn't even remember um, and saying, do you know about these awards? And do you know that it's a fan favorite? I had, I really didn't know, you know, I wasn't aware.
0: Yeah. The
1: cast. I mean, I I wasn't aware of, I mean, it's it's the kind of thing that happens to to actors occasionally, especially actors like me who aren't, you know, stars, we're just working actors there. For example, somebody said, I think somewhere around 1990 in the middle 90s somebody said or in late 90s are you aware that Kivas Fajo which is the name of the character that I played in the Star Trek the Next Generation episode yeah. is a is a is a game on the internet and there's playing cards and your character is a key card <laughs> I have no idea none so things to discover about you know sci-fi
0: yeah. there the fa- the sci-fi fandom is one that uh, continues to persist generation after generation. There are you know doctors and lawyers shows. There are a lot of uh, there is a lot of uh, procedural programming out there that is perfectly good. There is something about about science fiction and Heroes One and Two specifically, and an, an episode like The Most Toys as well that speaks to the human condition. And allows us to recognize the, the darker aspects of ourselves and face situations like overwhelming greed or, you know, hostility for, you know, alien races or, you know, a, a number of different things and force us to think about our place in that situation you know puts puts us puts us in the center of that and go how would i deal with that situation you know i don't necessarily like that guy but i understand why he's doing what he's doing if i were if i were placed there i may have i may decide something similar you know mm-hmm. that's one of the things that it does so well i agree one of the things that i've always wanted to know you make a meal out of your scripts and I want to know if it's just an acting choice or if it's something that you just instinctually do if you're allowed to on the set at a given time you you speak the dialogue as if you're just making it up as you go is how how do you do that I mean you, you well, have you're, little you're, little well, asides in the dialogue and everything else you're going in and out and weaving around it how how do you how do you achieve that <laughs>
1: Well, you're just talking about the craft of acting, yeah. And uh, and um, what was it? Spencer Tracy used to say, you know, just acting. The secret of acting is just don't ever let them catch you at it, Um, (laughs) and don't bump into the furniture. But (laughs) but you know, when looking at Heroes Part One and Two, when I watched it recently, knowing I was going to do this, I was also caught by a feeling of. It's partly because it was a little bit improvised and uh, and that was allowed. And um, so that there were, there was a feeling of spontaneity uh, that comes with it. <clears throat> and I think it's something that I try to bring. All actors try to bring that. Uh, all good actors really are working very hard to make, make it look as if it's happening on the spot to be mm. in the present moment. And sometimes the circumstances, work in your favor and the atmosphere on the set what's in your favor and the character uh, the dialogue and the, the way it's written works in your favor and sometimes it's not in your favor sometimes actors have to turn <laughs> not in this case it was really well written but sometimes actors have to take uh, you know um, sow's ears and turn them into silk purses as we say sometimes you've got stuff that has been so uh, worked on uh, and made homogenous by committee and executives and notes. Um, Sometimes writers don't have the power to fight um, what, what happens in the development of stories that you end up with episodes that are forgettable And I'm sure it happens on procedurals all the time and where character is neglected and you really are trying to make your day becomes Mm -hmm. the most important thing. Um, and you're, and you end up with stuff that vaguely resembles humanity, but isn't really. And so, yes, I mean, I do really hope that whenever I approach a project unless somebody tries to stop me, I mean from the very beginning, I'm doing an episodic if I'm working on an episodic television show as a guest star, I treat it as if it's a gonna you know an Academy Award winning movie. I'm treating it the way I would any project. I'm trying to set the bar really high. And unless somebody stops me, unless circumstances stop me from and I have to work around it. And I find that's true with most artists in all situations. In all situations, dancers, writers, actors, musicians are always uh, at their best. Are trying to um, break through a boundary, and uh, and if they're prevented by circumstance, finances, politics, ego, mm-hmm. um, they they hopefully we all try to work around it. We and combat it as best we can, and move on to the next subject, uh, to the next, uh, to the next job. Um, it is the craft uh, of trying to make sure something appears human. That's why I love playing bad guys, because uh, really, you know, you play a bad guy the same way as you would a good guy. Um, it's just it's not what they look like or the way they smile. It's what they do that makes them bad. Um, you don't know somebody's a bad guy quite often until they're in the middle of doing something horrible. You know, remember, uh, anyway, it's really not that relevant, but I do remember seeing a documentary. I I don't remember what it was called, The Thin Red Line or Thin Blue Line. It was interviewing a psychopath. Mm -hmm. And I remember, the real psychopath, and I remember watching it and going, There's nothing about, if an actor was playing this role in this interview, he might be tempted to show you some kind of crack in this facade, but there isn't one. And the only time you see a crack in in that man's facade was while he was strangling you, (laughs) you know, that you wouldn't see it until it was happening. Remember being, that was an interesting acting lesson. But I take your compliment. I I'm, I'm very appreciative of what you said. I I do hope that uh, that the, that it doesn't look written when I'm acting. You you're talking about the craft of acting and uh and sometimes I'm better at it than others, you know? Well, you know. I do my best.
0: Not every script is going to be a home run. You know, you got to you got to take what you're given and sometimes a job is a job. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I have uh, some uh, fans who have submitted some questions here. If sure, you don't go mind. ahead. Absolutely. Yep. Teresa wanted to know in what genre do you prefer to act or are they all more or less the same for you? Drama, comedy, something else. What do you love sinking your teeth into more I don't than think others?
1: Well, I don't think that I've ever done a show. I don't think I've ever done a performance where there isn't some humor. I think it's, I don't really like stuff that has absolutely no humor, no matter what the drama show is. I mean, the intense, violent um, movies, they're at their best when there's also some humor some in it. And I think that I I try to find a way to do that. But no, the genre isn't important to me. Mm. I don't usually find actors talk about genre uh, as much as they talk about the community that they're working in you're really looking for an atmosphere that allows you to fall on your face where failure is not uh, sh- where you're not shamed where you can actually make mistakes and and when producers and directors and writers create an atmosphere where people can um, can fail uh, without shame that's when you get people doing their best work and so actors that I know all my entire career very rarely I mean you, you do have actors who really you know much prefer um you know, theater to, to working on film. But uh but I, I would say and that depends also on who you're working with and what you're you know who what you're doing. Who what's the script like? Who, who what's the community like? You actors look for the community that they can they think that they can work well in and that they can work collaboratively in.
0: I think uh the the comedy, so much of the comedy in, in Emmett Bregman is watching him deal with his frustration <laughs> of filming a documentary that may never be right. shown. <laughs> and there's, there's a certain, there's a certain humor in that he's sitting there in the yeah. editing bay. Um, and they're like, where's the shot of Neil Armstrong hitting the golf on the moon? I don't have it. I have, there's this yeah, right. unbelievably boring. This is yeah, talking right. heads. I have yak, yak, yak. Yeah. And
1: yeah, I remember, I remember it was funny. I, I, we wanted it to have have that frustration to be funny
0: and that he carries it out also that he has no he's the openly says you know i don't care what you guys think of me he openly goes to general hammond's office oh donna Davis, and you know asks to use his phone to call the president you know that, that guy had balls
1: yeah that was uh all rob cooper yeah what? uh it's great great writing and and all you have to do is uh you know you know, carry through when you have great writing. It's really easy, really easy.
0: Yeah. Uh, Matthew wants to know Was Warehouse 13 as much fun to make as it looks? He says he's a huge more. fan of the show.
1: More fun, uh, more fun to make than it looks. Uh, we all loved each other. Uh, we were incredibly fortunate because of um, Jack Kenny as our showrunner and uh, you know, David Simpkins, who started us off. These were wonderful people, and Jack Kenny, who took over most of it as a uh, as showrunner and head writer, was, and is still a very good friend of mine, is very collaborative, and we had a lot of fun, and because he was there, you know, um, on the set, we could improvise, we could fool around, and we could contribute, and it was uh, a tremendous fun. Yeah, one of the most fun things I've ever done in my career was doing Warehouse 13. It was a great
0: character, yeah. A great premise. It's a show that, that shows that, you know, sci fi doesn't always have to be absolutely taken seriously to, no, uh, I was to shocked give that, meaning.
1: It should, the show should never have left the air. It was, it, you know, it, it's all these financial and political decisions. That was a show, listen how, how rare that show was, was that you could watch it if you were eight or 80. And it was, unlo- un, you know, what do families watch together today? Game shows? Mm-hmm. Singing contest shows. How many Disney shows movies? are there on yeah. the air? How many shows are there on the air that you know that the parents are going? Okay, this is for the kids, and they you know bored out of their minds. Uh, but but it's for the kids. But this show works. Warehouse 13 worked on an eight-year-old level, a fifteen-year-old level, a twenty-five-year-old level, an old person level? There were jokes only meant for older people. There. Yeah. There was a sense of adventure. The violence was kept at a minimum. It was still a lot of fun. It was also every single artifact had historical Mm accuracy. So teachers loved the show because they could talk about it with their students um, uh, in science and in in math, in history, and in English literature. All the artifacts were that were represented had some uh, relation to a real historical. Object right. So that was really fun. So the answer is it was even more fun than you could imagine. It was it was uh, it was it was really a fun show to do. Never should have gone off the air. Should be brought back.
0: <laughs> Wouldn't be surprised with as much stuff as coming back these days, you know. And it's uh it's it's the best art that leads a viewer to go, hmm. Let me Wikipedia that. Oh, yeah, so yeah, that yeah, is, yeah, yeah. and opens up doors of new knowledge and mm-hmm. all. I mean even. I'm sure there's a cure there's a curator or two out there who said, you know what, I I, I fell in love with my job on Watching Warehouse thirteen. So you yeah. know. Absolutely. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Elizabeth Lee, um, do you have any specific rituals for when you prepare for roles, research or tools that you use, rehearsal for setter stage? What's your process? I think it kind of goes circles back to the the discussion about how you try to find spontaneity in the dialogue, depending on how free you um, are to do so.
1: I, prep, is, prep is different. It depends on the role. I mm-hmm. mean, uh, you, you, sometimes it it really is a question that I, I know that the less work, the less prep I I do, the better. For example, I just did a role. Um, in this series called Hunters for Amazon that was with Al Pacino uh, based on these people who are hunting Nazis in the late 70s in New York and my character is a Holocaust survivor who has an accent much like the accent of my own dad's Mm -hmm. accent so it was very easy for me to do and really I didn't have to prepare uh, or do any research I was born to play it in many ways Um, sometimes uh, I did you know there's There's intense research into what I remember really, really thinking and reading a lot about the the writers that worked in westerns before I did Unforgiven. Uh, I've played scientists where I really wanted to know a little bit more about it. Playing a character like Kivas Faj, Kivas Faj, with no notice whatsoever, having to step in to another actor's yeah. shoes because he couldn't do it. Yeah. it was really all that brought me back to playing an alien was children's theater and the kind of fun I had doing children's theater. So the answer is because I'm an untrained actor uh, because I, I mean, except when I was a little boy, because I was a child actor on stage only, not in film or television during children's theater and some adult plays, but you know, playing Tom Sawyer or Jim Hawkins and, and I was, you know, taught by when I was a child, but otherwise I learned on the job. And so as a result of, I don't have a method as such. Um, The method that I have is to, um, if I, if if there's a character I know very little about, I really try to invent a backstory that I understand um, that I have secrets that I don't need to tell anybody about some understanding of a, back, a backstory that gives me what I need in order to to be as natural as possible playing the role. And sometimes there's specific research, depending on the job the character has and things that I, I should know about that I wouldn't otherwise know. But then everything changes, no matter what you have, whatever you prepared for, then you're faced with your co-stars and you're faced with the t- how long you've got to shoot it. And you're faced with the politics of the set and you're faced with um, all of the all of the problems that come with the with a group of people trying to create something together. And that's true in theater. Uh, It's true in all collaborative work Um, uh, that the reality of the group of people affects what you're doing more than anything else especially when you're not a superstar. There are very, very few people who are in a position where they control, they're producing, the thing is greenlit because of them. They control it all, and that presents its own problems of having, I'm sure, of having people agree with you too often because they're worried about their jobs, and you really need to have people around you that you can trust if you're in a position like that, but I've almost never been in a position like that. I've seen it with Mm -hmm. other people. Uh, But for most of us who are working either as regular characters or guest stars or recurring characters on television shows or in movies, uh, people keep their methods private for the most part, you know. Uh, And for me, the answer to your question is there is no specific ritual that I have. It all changes depending on the circumstances
0: that I'm in. Understood. Thank you. Scotty0709, how do you think Artie from Warehouse 13, how do you think Artie would have reacted to the Stargate program?
1: Oh, uh, uh That's an interesting question. That's a really interesting question. Uh how would Artie have re- reacted to this program? I, I think that uh he wouldn't have liked the um oversight. Uh-huh. Uh and I think that there would be too, way too much politics involved for Artie to find a home there. He would have been fired very quickly. Uh, <laughs> uh, if Artie, it's too military. You know, yeah. Artie was his real rebel. Yeah. And he and I think that he uh, might have honored the idea of going to different worlds. But you've got to remember, there are no aliens in Artie's universe. Right. Everything is all there. There's not an alien culture. I think he would have found it out of it. He would have been out of his depth trying to deal with it. He, He, his job was really to try to figure out is an object actually going to do harm? How do I find out what that, there is harm being done. Is it, is it the cause of an artifact? How do we get that artifact? And that's it. That's all he needs to do. And then he has to control them all in this warehouse and, and, he, you know that he's given his life to. So anything that would have required the kind of rules and organization that a military atmosphere would have had to put on him, he would have been gone in three days. Mm. He would have been
0: kicked out. It's like that's it. That's that's enough. Yeah, i done. <laughs> Jeez.
1: Last... He would have been diso-
0: dishonorably discharged. <laughs> people. Can, some people can only go so far. So, last question for you. Patrick wanted to know. Um, was there ever any talk of bringing Emmett back? He was mentioned a couple of times later, at least once, or, uh, if we're Stargate to return in the fourth series that Brad is, uh, trying to get off the ground, uh, would you be open to a return, particularly if, uh, if the Stargate uh, program ever went public? Wow. I, I didn't even know that they were trying to bring Stargate. He's back.
1: been trying. I, oh, that's really cool. Um, Of course, it's a great character. I don't know how it would fit in in that universe. But uh, the character, I never, I never no, I was never asked about bringing him back. But he's such a, it it depends on the circumstances Mm -hmm. that he would be brought back in. But of course, I like the show so much. And I like the character so much. That would be a really interesting thing to
0: try. Actress Kendall Cross was, was in season six as a reporter, as a news reporter. And then, when there was uh, some exposure in season eight of the program, they brought her back in because she was owed a favor. I think Emmett mm-hmm. Bregman would be owed a favor or two for all he put up with over the years for this thing. Being I buried. think so too. <laughs> I agree. So, Saul, this has been a delight. Thank you so much you. for coming on, sir. I really do appreciate your time. And all the best to you, sir. You take care of yourself, you. okay? I will. Thank Be you very well. much. well. I'll wrap up the show on this end. Take care of yourself, sir. Bye, bye. Saul Rubinek, everyone. Emmett Bregman on Stargate SG One. Thank you so much for joining us, and big thanks to Saul again for making this possible. He is uh, he is one of the reasons uh, why I uh, uh, created this uh, uh, this program was to hope to sit down and have this discussion, and he did not disappoint. Dial the Gate is partnered with 3dtech.pro for the month of December to give you a chance to get your very own Atlantis, Puddle Jumper, and BC303. To enter to win these items, you need to use a desktop or laptop computer and go to visit dialthegate.com. Scroll down to Submit Trivia Questions. Your trivia may be used in a future episode of Dial the Gate, either for our monthly trivia night or for a special guest to ask me in a round of trivia. We keep talking about this. I need to start doing this again with some of the guests. There are three slots for trivia, one easy, one medium, and one hard. Only one needs to be filled in, but you're more than welcome to submit up to three. And please note, the submission form does not currently work for mobile devices. Your trivia must be received before April the 1st. If you're the lucky winner, I'll be notifying you via your email to get your address. And please be sure to check out our partner's website for more Stargate-related merchandise at 3dtech.pro. We have a winner for the... uh, Uh, stargate uh uh, dhd um segment that was that was blown up in phantoms uh from empire movie props and that is going to be going out to goran and so he is our winter our winner according to uh gate gabber he sent us five great sets of questions so congratulations to goran i'll be reaching out to you uh over email in the next couple of days here or you can email me speed up the process if you want to at dial the gate show at uh, gmail.com and uh we are now offering t-shirts Dial the Gate is brought to you every week for free, and we do appreciate you watching. But if you want to support the show further, buy yourself some of our themed swag. We're now offering T-shirts, tank tops, sweatshirts, and hoodies for all ages in a variety of sizes and colors at Redbubble. We currently offer four themed designs with uh, uh, solid and hope to add more in the future. The word cloud designs have both a solid background or transparent background options. You have some flexibility between choosing a light or dark color. Do keep that in mind when you're making your selection and checkout is fast and easy and you can use your Amazon or PayPal account as well. Just visit dial And thank you for your support. And if you really enjoyed uh, this episode, I would appreciate it if you do click that like button because it's going to make a difference with YouTube's algorithm and allow the show to grow. Uh, please also consider sharing this video with a Stargate friend. And if you want to get notified about future episodes, click that subscribe icon. And if you plan on watching live, I recommend giving the bell icon a click so you'll be the first to know if any schedule changes, which uh, do happen all the time and bear in mind clips from this live stream will be released over the course of the next several days and weeks on the GateWorld.net youtube channels and at some point here uh, dial the gate will also be serving up uh, uh, clips as well uh, but that's a bit of a process so i appreciate uh, you joining us thanks so much to my production assistants uh, jennifer kirby and linda gate gabber fury summer tracy e, uh keith Jeremy, Reese, and Anthony. Uh, you guys make the dial the gate world go round, and it would not be possible without you. Thanks again to Saul Rubinick. Fantastic uh, uh, discussion about heroes. This is a two-parter that just comes up in pretty much every conversation about SG-1. And it's clear to, it's clear to see why it was such a success that the people who were brought in for it and the people who did the show were at th- their, peak performance in this episode. And I'm so thankful that Rob went to Sci-Fi Channel and uh, asked them to, you know, give him permission to push it into two hours because it's just splendid. So, Vytiare Hirshan is going to be joining us momentarily in about a little over an hour from now. She played Shari and Aminette in uh, Stargate SG-1. I'm David Reed for Dial the Gate. See you on the other side. Dial the Gate is hosted and executive produced by David Reed. The producer is Darren Sumner, co-produced by Linda Fury. The composer is Neil Acri. Animations by Bryce Orrs. The production assistant is Jennifer Kirby. Moderators include Summer Roy, Keith Hommel, Tracy Noller, Jeremy Heiner, Reese M., and Anthony Rowling. Logo design by Deborah J. Bell. Additional effects by Thomas Tots, with contributions by model makers Chris Baker, Stephen Barr, Kevin Zabo, and Tom Paris. The archivists are Linda Fury, Zachary Adams, and Fred Eric Marcoux. For general inquiries for submissions, please contact us at dialthegateshow at gmail.com. Visit our website for the upcoming schedule, as well as an archive of our past episodes at dialthegate.com.